Season 8 of Laughter Permitted with Julie Foudy has returned. Every Wednesday, tune in for fun, thoughtful, and candid conversations with trailblazers in sports. And as always, Julie brings the donuts. So listen to Laughter Permitted with Julie Foudy, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Welcome to That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Interviews with actors, comedians, athletes, neuroscientists, authors, anybody I find interesting. We talk about their careers, successes, failures, and how they ended up here talking to me. I think I asked some pretty darn good questions, but don't take it from me. Just ask star of screen and stage, Nick Offerman. It's a great question. It's it's an astute question. Um, Gosh, that's a good question. That's a great question. Gosh, uh, that's a great question. That is a great question. This has been a litany of great questions. I was right (laughs) to to agree to this. I'm Rick Steves, and my dilemma is I love traveling everywhere in this world, but I write guidebooks and lead tours only in Europe. And my dedication to my travelers is to use every day I get away from home to go to Europe and make my stuff better, even though I can't go back to India or Thailand or Indonesia or Colombia or Japan. I just focus on Europe. Oh, Rick, uh, this is a simple one. I, I, I love your dedication to your readers, and I imagine that it would be very difficult to expand beyond Europe and do Rick Steves Asia and other places uh, without it becoming a full second job for which you have no time. Uh, but I want to say I had a guest on that told me something, uh, and I've repeated this quote many times when making decisions. Make sure when you say yes to somebody else, you're not saying no to yourself. So while I understand wanting to provide the very best you can for all of your readers who love trips to Europe, do not deny yourself the pleasure of traveling in other places. Go to Africa, go to the Galapagos, go to Australia, New Zealand, go back to India, go to all of those places. Um, You've put in more than enough work already uh, in Europe, and Europe will always be there when you get back. That's what she said. (laughs) Travel is fatal to prejudice bigotry, and narrow-mindedness, and many of our people need it sorely on these accounts. Broad, wholesome, charitable views of men and things cannot be acquired by vegetating in one little corner of the earth all one's lifetime. Mark Twain. It's a perfect thought to set the stage for today's conversation on That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Um, I do always come back from traveling, uh, looking at my city differently seeing different people, cultures, food, art, and history through that new lens both brings me back home with a new lens on the place I live and also causes me to see not just the places I've been, but the entire world and the differences in people and cultures and places um, with a new eye. I am so pumped to have gotten the chance to interview someone I've never met, but that's made my life much better through his work and made my travels much better through his work. Um, I don't go anywhere in Europe without a Rick Steves guidebook. And when people are ooing and aahing over all of my photos and my hotel finds and restaurants and asking for my itinerary and how I find those secret places, I tell them it's almost all Rick Steves. There's a little bit of blog and Instagram digging, if I'm being honest, but it's mostly Rick. And if you're somehow not familiar, get ready to change your whole travel experience by using Rick's website and his videos, podcasts, books, shows. Uh, His resume is truly impressive. Uh, He's a writer, author, activist, television personality. His travel philosophy encourages people to explore less touristy areas of a destination and become immersed in the local people's way of life. His company reach is very broad. Uh, He researches and writes European guidebooks, has a public television series, public radio show, leads tours throughout Europe, uh, the sale of travel bags, guidebooks, maps, DVDs, and supplies on the website, travel consulting, trip planning services. Uh, There's free do-it-yourself travel seminars, tons of free information about travel in Europe, and uh, and the company is also committed to being climate smart. Um, 70 guidebooks so far. And as of 2019, an annual revenue of $100 million for Rick Steves' company. He's got a brand new series, Rick Steves' Art of Europe, a six-hour sweep through the entire span of European art history. It just started on PBS, can be found online, too. Um, I loved talking to him. I loved picking his brain on all of this. And I know you're going to love it, too. That's what she said. I could not be more excited for today's guests. Uh, Many of you know that I recently took a very lengthy trip. And of course, it was curated as always by this man who uh, the the books on my shelf, which are 
nerdily color-coded. When you get to the section of all the blues, you know it's all Rick Steves books for the places I've gone or want to go. And one of the things that Rick says is you learn a lot by your own about your own home by leaving it. And I do find that I come back from Rick's places and I look around Chicago differently and I maybe want to walk around using a Rick Steves walking guide, of which there isn't for Chicago, uh, because it does make me look around the world so differently. I am a Rick Nick, as they're called, uh, from Portugal to Spain to Italy to Greece. Um, and Rick Steves is going to tell us all about his travels and how he became the man, the go to man for all of this. Um, I want to go way back, Rick, to to your childhood. You uh, were the uh, your parents were a high school band director and piano technician, um, and your mother was uh, born to Norwegian immigrants. So that's an interesting setup right off the top. Um, and you lived out in California and then Washington. So tell me about uh, how travel played a part in your life at a, at a young age, and and how your parents perhaps influenced uh, becoming who you are. Yeah, it is interesting, isn't it, to think back and you think of the impact your parents had on you and what were their passions and uh, how did that rub off on you? And it was, we were just, my mom and dad didn't have much money. Uh, my dad was a band director and he, he then he became a piano tuner. And somehow my mom made his meager budget work for our family of five. But every weekend we'd go camping. And the big question was, if it was uh, sunny, we'd go in our boat up in the Canadian, up in the San Juan Islands. And if it was rainy, we'd go, quote, east of the mountains, and we'd go camping mm -hmm. where it was always sunny. Um, but then uh, later on, my dad started importing pianos from Germany, and um, he uh, decided to take me over to Europe to see the piano factories. And I was just 14 years old, and it opened up my world, and I think it opened up my dad's world, too. And while we were over in Europe, we swung up to Norway to see the relatives, because both my mom and my dad, uh, their their parents came basically over from Norway on the boat. Oh, wow, both. Hmm. Yeah. So, um, and uh, it just really opened up my my whole world. I just, I, I'm so thankful for that. Um, so they they just really prioritized uh, for travel, even if they didn't have a lot of money. It was just, let's go do something. Let's have an experience. Let's meet new people. And uh, we were all just bumpkins in Germany uh, <laughs> on my first trip. I remember I don't think they had ever had, I had never had yogurt. I've never eaten a mushroom. I, I never saw a white asparagus before. I thought it was some sort of albino um, problem, you know, but no, <laughs> this was just a white asparagus and it was in season and everybody was excited about that. So I had my first taste of so many interesting things uh, when I was in Europe and uh, I, I traveled with my parents twice. And then I remember I was in a train station in Copenhagen on the way up to see the relatives in Norway we were surrounded by other kids just a year or two older than me with their rucksacks and with their rail passes and no parents. And I thought, <laughs> I don't need my mom and dad for this. Yeah. Europe can be my playground. <laughs> and uh, I started going to Europe on my own. And, oh, I love um, it. And then I was learning from my mistakes and I started teaching yeah. people the lessons I learned from my experience in hopes that they could learn from my experience rather than their own have a better trip. And that was the birth of, of my Rick Steves Europe work. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble, with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I want to go back to Norway because I read this great thing that you were sitting in a park in Oslo and you looked around and saw all of the people that had been living their lives halfway across the world the same way you were living yours right up until you'd taken this trip unaware of their existence and thought this planet must be home to billions of equally lovable children of God. And it reminded me sort of of this concept. There's actually words for that in in other languages and they're not official, but they're in these sort of um this should be a word everyone knows, dictionaries. And one is sonder, 
which mm. is the realization that there aren't any main characters in the world and everyone has a complex life and thoughts and relatives and dreams and mind just like yours and mm. how overwhelming it can be to imagine that there yeah. are people everywhere with their own lives like that. And you oh, seem yeah. to have had that and then decided to meet as many of them as possible. That's interesting. I, that takes that little notion I had, that, that little eureka I had when I was just a teeny bopper into um, a whole nother level. Um, the, to, to round that little um, episode out, Sarah, uh, I was impressed by how other parents were loving their kids mm. as much as my parents were loving me. And looking mm. out over that scene, I remember it was like a Monet painting, just sparkling with with people and love and, and a beautiful park in Norway, you know. And I, I just thought, well, I would have never known about this if I didn't travel. And this is just Norway. I mean, it's one little pinpoint on the right. globe. And the globe is filled with literally billions of, of families, parents loving their kids as much as my parents loved me. And it just jolted my egocentric viewpoint and my ethnocentric viewpoint that any kid would have growing up in the United States without the benefit of travel. Yeah. So you wrote down a lot of what you saw, what you experienced, what you did on the backs of postcards and numbered them. And uh, I've read that you still have all of them stored in a wooden box, but that was sort of your first effort to chronicle what it is to travel through these places. You went back to Europe at age 18 without your parents and journaled throughout that and did it on a budget and learned things about it which brought you back to your alma mater, uh, University of Washington and and the Washington area, um, where you started teaching right off the bat. I mean, that was right after you came back from those trips, right? That was sort of, aha, this is what I want to do with my life. Um, not really. I was committed to being a piano teacher. I loved oh. teaching piano. And I didn't have any aspirations to do anything more than that. I could teach, you know, uh, 60 students in 30 hours and um, and have the summers off. And I, I just loved, you know, turning kids onto music. But um, I had my summers off and, you know, kids wouldn't practice in the summer. So I just said, I'll see you in September. And I would always travel. And then I, um, I really had this travel bug bit me. And I took a class from a guy who had taken the hippie bus to Kathmandu from Istanbul. It was what kids did back in the 70s. And he had this experience. He had this information. And I was sitting in this classroom with 20 other wannabe backpackers who wanted to do this greatest trip on earth. And the guy just completely phoned it in. He didn't care about our trip. He, Our trips were on the line. He had the information, but he wasn't organized and he didn't teach well. And I just thought, it, it really struck me because I was a victim of lazy teaching from a travel point of view, how valuable it is if somebody with experience can, can, can organize that experience in a way that others can learn from that experience rather than their own have a better trip because you want to do it right when you go. Otherwise, it's gonna, you're going to lose ex opportunities and experiences. So I just decided, man, oh man, I'm learning a lot about Europe. It's a huge market. Everybody wants to go to Europe and everybody is doing the same stupid mistakes. If I could just make a class so people would know how to change money smartly or know what the best way to catch the train is or the importance of pack and light or how to make a good itinerary and how to avoid the crowds and how not to get ripped off. Every time I got ripped off, I celebrated because I learned that scam and I'm going to weave it into my lecture and bring it home and tell everybody about it. So that was when I was a kid. I was in my early 20s or maybe, yeah. And, um, and uh, I offered a, a talk through this experimental college at the University of Washington where people could teach bike mechanics and, um, you know, log cabin building and dancing, and I could teach how to travel. I thought, you know, 20 or 30 dorm mates of mine would sign up and a hundred parents signed up and I wasn't even ready. <laughs> and, you know, I, I was collecting $8 per head for this six week series. And oh there was, adults. These were people my parents' age that were expecting me to have this wisdom. So I had to really buckle down and, and get this class tight. And it became a phenom. I mean, it was one of the most popular classes in the college. And I made wild money for, 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 for me back then. And uh, I realized I really struck a chord. There is an appetite for people to, to learn from somebody else's experience and have a better trip. So that's what I did when I was a college kid. And now decades later, I'm in my mid sixties. Um, uh, I'm doing the same exact thing, but I've got a hundred colleagues at Rick Steves Europe and I've got technology beyond my wildest dreams to amplify my teaching. And I'm just having a lot of fun doing it. 
Yeah. I mean, I love that it started from that. And I love that at the beginning, you you weren't sure of the of the response. And of course, um, you've stepped up to the challenge uh, after learning that a lot of people were interested. Um, that first book, yeah. Europe Through the Back Door, um, was self-published and um, you wanted people to travel in, in potentially a different way. And like you said earlier, to be a part of the party as opposed to um, looking on the outside as a tourist where you're being received. And maybe your approach even is to to come and observe instead of partake. Right. Um, I wonder, right. as you've made your career and gotten bigger and bigger and become more of an authority, you used to be talking about sort of a backdoor entry and how to s- slide in and become a part of it. But now you can actually change a place by what you write about it and how many people you send there. How does that factor in as you're building this business and recognizing the power you have through your books and your shows? Yeah, I'm kind of like the whaler who screams, quick, harpoon it before it's extinct. Um, <laughs> you know, there's these beautiful, fragile, little undiscovered yeah. places and I discover them. And, and to be honest, to be very candid, I am the hired hand of my readers. My job is to go over there and not make discoveries and keep them secret, but make discoveries and then write them up and bring mm-hmm. them home so other people can have a better batting average. You know, what I like to do is hit and miss. I go over there and I hit and miss and miss and hit and miss and miss and hit and miss and hit. And then I bring home just the hits and I write them up in a way where a good student of mine will have a better batting average. They will hit every time on their short vacation. And, you know, I'm sort of haunted by the reality that Americans have the shortest vacations in the rich world. And we got to get it right. I get to right. go every year. The stakes are not so high for me. I get to go every year. But for other people, they squimp and they save. And this is the trip of the, the decade or something for them. And they're not going to go back. They're going to do something else. And they want to get it right the first time. And I get to help them do that. So that's really, really fun. My first book, Europe to the Back to I wrote in 1980. Um, so I was 25 years old. And it was kind of two books in one. It, the last half of it was a collection of my favorite discoveries these back doors, offbeat places that have no promotional budgets that I just discovered. And that kind of was the impetus for my work. I I had this critical mass of places I had discovered that nobody knew about that were really great. And I still promote them and people know them well now because of my TV show. And what they used to be great because they were poor and stuck in the past. Now these, in a lot of cases, are relatively affluent villages where people earn their living, you know, maintaining their their character and their culture and their heritage, but also catering to wealthy tourists coming in. So there's plenty of nice little restaurants and B&Bs, but there's still that that wonderful, intimate slice of the culture in a small town package. Those are the back doors. And the first half of the book were the skills. And that was just giving my le- the lectures I was giving in that class I talked about. You know, I had that, it was a, like an eight or a 10 hour lecture over several days. I used to do it in a long all day Saturday version as well. And I basically almost literally gave my lectures to the paper. And that was the book, Europe Through the Back Door. <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's out in its 30th edition now. And it's sort Unreal. of a yeah. classic how to travel handbook. And it's it's the same table of contents. It's just updated now with everything that's changed for travel. And um, the last half, my favorite discovery, so back doors has been broken out now into a book I, I just wrote. at the uh, It was kind of my COVID project. And it was... Um, it's called For the Love of Europe, and it's essays on my 100 favorite discoveries. But, mm. uh, you know, this is the fun for me is just having Europe as a destination, spending 100 days a year there for 30 or 40 years. And um, when I'm there, I'm alone and I'm just laser focused. I'm just energized. I'm working every waking hour, yeah. uh, not complaining about it. I just love it. It gives me it's like breathing straight oxygen. And then I get get to go home and tell people what I discovered. Yeah, I mean, it. your point about being able to get it right and not have to hit and miss when you have a short trip is truly the gift of your books. Because um, like I said, I just came back from a long trip and the number of people saying, how did you plan that? I mean, how do you oh, how do you find those little things and those little spaces and those towns I've never heard of? And you save so many people from it's not that it's time wasted if you're somewhere else, but that you do get to know that I'm going to do this Rick Steves walk. If I only have one day and I'm going to see all of Bern, Switzerland, that's the most important to see, or I'm going to stay in Murren in Switzerland instead of somewhere bigger. Um, if I just did Lake yeah. Como, Switzerland and Spain, and we stayed in Mern and we hiked the North Face and Manlikin to Klein Scheidig. And, you know, we were seeing goats on the exact hill where you said, here's where a lot of goats like to be. And I'm like, and there they are. Uh, you know, we're walking <laughs> 
to a hundred year old shop. I took a deep breath and I told my husband, oh my God, smell it in here. I look back at the book to remind me what I'm looking for in the shop. And it says in the next line, inhale. And I'm like, Rick, stop following us. Um, But it is, it's like, (laughs) you're literally, and, and to be in these places and to know that you've written these books and you update them regularly, but that a lot of those things are so true that they will be true for everyone in, in those spaces. And they'll bring out this life of a place so differently than just wandering without that intention. Um, yeah. It's it's yeah. such a gift and it's so magical. I wonder when you're when you're writing now, uh, obviously post internet becoming such an important part of travel because I do pair your books and then of course I'll look on Instagram or I'll look at blogs that people do and I'll try to find these other little things to bring into my planning. How did you have to take that into account when you were writing books and that post internet, everybody's going to be looking on on those spaces as well. How did that change your approach at all? If it did. Well, you know, I kind of ignore all of that stuff. I, I used to look at other stuff that was written back when there was not much written. And uh, uh, we all were sharing notes and learning from each other because there just wasn't a lot of information out. Now there's too much information and it's, it needs to be curated. And the fact is, with crowdsourcing and everything, anybody can be a travel expert. And we have, uh, frankly, unsophisticated uh, consumers when it comes to information. And if somebody says this hot chocolate is to die for in Paris, all of a sudden it's number one on TripAdvisor and everybody's right. going to this one little <laughs> cafe to have hot chocolate. Why? What did this person know? It's their first time in Paris. It, is that really the best right, chocolate? Right. And what if Certainly. your palate sucks? <laughs> I know it. Yeah. And I look at some of these things and you know, why is everybody eating Tex-Mex here in, in Amsterdam? Well, because it's number one on TripAdvisor. And I just don't even want that kind of misinformation to pollute my my judgment. Um, and what I do, not that I'm any brilliant food critic, but I go back year after year and mm. I know what what is out there. And I know I have a good sense of what people need and are curious about and what overwhelms them. I think perhaps one of my secret tricks to writing uh, our advantages to writing guidebooks because I've written about 50 guidebooks that cover all of Europe. And just before COVID hit, my publisher came up and he had this wonderful printout and it showed here's the top 20 guidebooks in the United States for traveling in Europe. And Rick Steves is on the cover of 15 of them. You guys are doing great, you know, and uh, we are just doing great. And I think one of my advantages is for 30 years, I was a tour guide and I've developed this really cool sense of, you know, what what overwhelms people? What confuses people? How mm-hmm. many Madonnas and children can a mortal tourist see before their <laughs> eyes glaze over? Um, so I, I kind of know. Uh, I, I I love to approach it like a consumer of this information, and and I forget things, and I get confused too, and I only speak one language, so I'm in the same boat as a lot of my readers, and uh, I get the advantage of going there, hiring a local guide, sorting it out, visiting. You know, when you go to Slovenia, there's two famous caves. You're only going to visit one. Which one? Well, right. somebody's got to go there who can spend a day seeing both of the caves, mm-hmm. writing them up and telling you, if you like this, that, and this, do this cave. If you want something more like that, you do this cave. And the right answer is there. You were just in Murin. You know, you could stay in Interlaken, Murin, Wengen. Uh, Gimmelwald. Or, or Gimmelwald. Outerbrunnen. <laughs> or Grindelwald. And the question yeah. is, which one do you want to stay in? My first time, I stayed in Interlaken, and that's the worst place to stay. Mm-hmm. Well, no, my second time, I stayed in Grindelwald because it was Interlaken is in the low country. You want to get in the high country? Grindelwald was in the high country, but it has a promotional budget. Everybody knows about it, and it's mass tourism, and I don't like that at all. I just went there a month ago to confirm that I don't like that at all. <laughs> but in the next valley, uh, Sarah, I think as you found, there's a town that sounds like the tourist trap, but it's not Grindelwald, it's Gimmelwald. And that's the magic. And I go there every chance I get. And, you know, I do my little walk and I do my tour and I walk around with my local friend who tells me all the little insights into the culture that you can you can weave into a walking tour. And that's what I love to do. And at the top of the valley, I have a, a set of benches. And I always, when I just want a moment alone, just me in the Alps, all alone, surrounded by this natural wonder, where the only sound you hear is, you know, cows above you on the steep yep. slope munching the, gr- the the flowers and making and their the bells mm-hmm. and their bells, and you can you can kind of hear the insects pollinating the different flowers, and you just sit there and you and and you look up at the mountains, and and then you know when the when the after I I, I remember watching the moon rise over those mountains and so on, or or the the setting sun just kissing the tips of those those peaks before it goes to bed and um that that bench 
is a special place for me. I've been sitting on that bench for 20 years. I, mm. I, I can't even tell you all the fun I've had on those benches. And I write about it and I feature it in my TV show. And now I meet people and they go, Rick, <laughs> Rick I, I sat on your bench. It, is, <laughs> it was magic. <laughs> and oh, that sort of thing is just so much fun for me to be able to do because it's the magic of travel and I get to bring it home. It is. And especially places like that, because it's easy to find a guide to a major city that will tell you, go to this museum and pay your $15 and take your tour. And then here's a couple of restaurants. It's the spaces that you might not otherwise know. I can spend a day hiking, um, mm -hmm. for instance, and end up passing two restaurants that I shouldn't go to because I should wait for the better one at the end of the Kleine Scheidegg hike. And you're right. It was a million. Yeah. It was amazing. And it was so worth that one extra yeah. hill of not stopping first. And ah. so someone doing that there for you. I'm I'm curious, you know, when you are going to these places and you're revisiting and updating your books, how often do the people know who you are? And do you find that you're being solicited in ways as you're th as Rick Steves is bigger and bigger, where you're, you have to be able to weed through uh, the, the people aiming for your words and your coverage yeah. versus uh, enthusiastic and welcome? Yeah. <laughs> it um it varies a lot but it's an it's over time it's become more of an issue i mean certain towns where i'm well known i mean you know if i recommend a restaurant in a little village on the italian riviera or a hill town in tuscany or a little village high in the alps where everybody's got the same last name and if i decide to love that town and feature it you know i can probably add 25 or 30 uh, percent to the gross revenue of a hotel in that town or a restaurant in that town just by recommending it so i'm big news when i'm in town and people do the goofiest things to try to accidentally stumble into me and give me their card. You know, it's just <laughs> I'm being ambushed all day long and nothing is nothing is uh, uh, just serendipity. It's all planned because they want to get the, the free promotion in my guidebooks. So I have to factor that in. And that's that can be a little bit exhausting and frustrating, uh, but it's a nice problem to have. It means that a lot of people are using and enjoying yeah. books. And, you know, my passion is connecting people with people. And I much as I don't like promoting a a sleazy business. I love promoting a beautiful business that is just a labor of love, the creative venture of a mom and pop, you know, a, a creative couple that have dreamed about having this little cafe or this little guest house. And they do such a beautiful job and they just, and they can be brutalized by the rough and tumble um, world of, um, you know, big business and capitalism and booking.com and all that kind of stuff. And um, it's just like we have a, a partnership where I get to be the conduit. I get to, to connect good American travelers with good small businesses. By good American travelers, I mean people that want to have an experience that people right. people that don't want to use their frequent flyer miles to get an upgrade for a room in a high-rise hotel in the big city and then take a bus tour out to the to the high country. But people who want to sleep in the high country and hike up to some you know, beautiful, rustic old hotel um, that you can't book online. Uh, this is the kind of... Um, magic that awaits the the uh, i think the industrious traveler we'll get right back to the interview but first what's your favorite word my favorite word conviviality conviviality that's a word i almost never use but absolutely should conviviality the quality of being friendly and lively friendliness uh, it's from convivial from the 1660s pertaining to or the nature of a feast from late Latin pertaining to a feast and from the Latin a feast to carouse together or live together. Uh, and starting in the 18th century, it began to mean sociable. Great word. Conviviality. Love it. Speaking of great words. You're going to learn today. The word of the week is brought to you by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of an ice cold Dr. Pepper. The one fans deserve. The word of the week is Sturmfrei. It's a German word with a literal translation of storm free, uh, but is actually slang for, say, a teenager having the house to him or herself with parents gone. Sort of a one word way of saying I've got the run of the place. Uh, earlier, it had been used in the military to describe a place or a position that was impregnable. Uh, but now it's used to describe the freedom of not being watched by a parent or a superior or being alone in a place, having the ability to do, you know, whatever you want. Anyone who lives with other people, no matter how beloved those people are, they know and love that feeling of a day or two where you're solo. You can watch trash TV and eat what you want and spread out across the bed and fart to your heart's content. 
Um, but I also love the expanded definition of being in a place and able to do what you want because I love travel days to myself. Um, I love exploring places with other people and would like to do that most of the time, but I love a day or two to myself. I find a good Rick Steves walking tour and I get to decide, do I want to stay or shop or keep moving, pop in for a drink or pop in for food? Um, so if you haven't taken a trip solo or at least on a few days of a trip solo, I, I highly recommend it. All right. In a sentence, I can't wait to wander the streets of Sevilla today. I have Sturmfrei. Now let's get back to the interview. If you look back to the beginning when you started, maybe even when you wrote your first book and you knew that there was a, a desire for this stuff, but maybe not how big it was, was there a larger and broader ethos of how you hope to inspire people to travel? Or did that really evolve over time, understanding the influence that you had and how to encourage people yeah. to travel in ways that are more valuable? It's funny, Sarah. I've never I've never had a long-term plan. I, I almost... I might frustrate some of the business leaders in my company because you know we are, we're a hundred million dollar a year gross business and we're uh, we got a hundred people and we're really jamming right now and I don't really make long term plans. My I measure my bottom line not by dollars but by how many trips we impact. And for me, uh, content is king. I just want to produce good content. I'm I'm really excited right now because all over the United States, uh, my new art series is debuting. It's been two years in the making. It's by far the, the biggest project I've ever undertaken as a TV producer. And it's a six hour sweep through the story of European art. And mm. it's so exciting, but it's just an example <laughs> of projects we've been doing for the last 40 years. And, you know, it's free. Anybody can watch it anytime. And if, uh, if everybody watches it for me, that's, I've impacted a lot of trips and that's very profitable. Will they end up taking my tours or buying my books? Well, I hope so. But um, that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because it's something that uh, is of great value. And I think it's important for Americans to get out and get to know the world. And, and you know, our, our mission is to inspire Americans to venture beyond Las Vegas and Disneyland. And um, we do that. And Europe is a good sort of springboard for world exploration. Uh, I just love when somebody for their first time is going to venture overseas and yeah. go to a country where they speak a different language. And so I didn't have any big plan. I just like to have a focus. I'm passionate about Europe. That's where my experience is. I've got a degree in European history. Uh, my my heritage is there. I've got friends all over the continent that that help me out. And uh, it's such a great market. I mean, it's it's the, by far the big market. Uh, so that's good news if you're writing guidebooks. And um, I'm just really thankful I found my niche. You know, you say that, and I think that's all very true, but you also have to be strategic in the balance of your influence and remaining uh, broadly appealing. You are very broadly appealing yeah. and you want everyone to benefit yeah. from your books and maybe even someone who you might disagree with on major issues might pick up your book, right. use it, and then change their view on some things because you've led them through oh. a new space in a way that they otherwise might not have. And it made them open up their mind to some of these ideas. But you... At the same time oh, yeah. of all that, you're writing a book called Travel as a Political Act. You've made your your opinions known on things from marijuana to canceling tours of Russia because you didn't want to bring money to Vladimir Putin and consume anything in a space that would, you know, uh, promote or benefit him. How do you balance sort of travel is for everyone? I want to help everyone understand the benefits of opening up their minds via travel while also saying, but these things are important to me and I want people to know that. Well, I'm lucky that I own the business. So if the sole proprietor. <laughs> I wish I owned my business, Rick. Yeah, I could say I, I, so many more things that I want. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is I work for a lot of other businesses and they hire me to say things they would like to say, but they can't. And I come I like in and it. I say them. I and like they it. afterwards, when it's just me and they, they just go, man, I wish I could say that. Thank mm. you for bringing that message here. Um, I'm like the medieval jester. You know, in the old days, in the Middle Ages, the king gave the jester room and board in order to be annoying. The jester would go outside of the castle and find out what jokes the people were telling in the ghetto, you know, and they would, the, the, the jester would come back in and tell the king what was going on outside of the castle. And even if it annoyed him, even if it was insulting. And uh, what I like to do in my travels is to remind Americans that there's 96% of humanity outside of our borders. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of fear in our country right now. And fear is a very dangerous thing. Fear is a, a tragic thing. And 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 the flip side of fear is 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 uh, understanding, and we gain understanding right. when we get out. The Mark Twain out. quote that is oh, yeah. one of the all time best. 
I just love that. Yeah. And uh, so I just challenge people to put themselves in a mindset where they're more excited about building bridges and less excited about building walls. And mm. when, if I'm giving a talk, if I fly all the way to, you know, uh, North Carolina and I'm sponsored by some, you know, conservative business leader in this community and Rick Steves is going to give a talk. I let them know I'm just, I'm not going to just come and talk about escargot and, and, and talk about uh, cute little cafes in Paris. I'm going to talk about the value of travel and I'm going to talk about the excitement of leaving our home to look at it from a distance and learn more about it from a global yeah. perspective. And I'm going to remind them that, you know, everybody, everybody doesn't have the American dream. And, uh, that's, that's a fine thing. I've got the American dream, but, but my friends in Bulgaria have the Bulgarian dream and my friends in Sri Lanka have the Sri Lankan dream. And that's something we can celebrate and we're not the norm. You know, yeah. people, who, people who sit on something to go to the bathroom are the oddballs in this planet. <laughs> the people that use a spoon and a fork are oddballs in this planet. And we often find that hard to believe. But when yeah. you travel, you realize how ethnocentric we can be. And that's a celebration. Uh, and that's kind of why we travel. So, you know, after doing this for 30 or 40 years, I realized I don't want to just be a closet progressive. I don't want to be a have a have a, a a global viewpoint that travel has given me, which by the way, I think is the very best souvenir. Uh, I don't want to keep that in the closet. I want to run it up the flagpole and and mm. and, and tell people about it. Right. So w- when I travel all the way across the country to give a talk, I want to have an impact. And uh, the the talk I like to give, and generally the only talk that I accept these days is, travel as a political act. It's so fun to talk about it. And it just shares the lessons I've learned from a lifetime of, uh, of embracing culture shock. See, a lot of people, a lot of people try to avoid culture shock if it's a bad thing. And for me, culture shock is constructive. It's the growing pains of a broadening perspective. And right. if, you've never, if you've never had a culture shock, you need a little culture shock. Gosh, I just was talking to a professor about this, and I thought the way she worded it was so fantastic. She was talking to students about something, and um, a a student in her class from a very specific um, religious and ethnic background was sort of troubled by some of what she was teaching and came up to her and said, I know what you're teaching me is right, but I feel like you're taking something away from me when I learned that the way I was raised in my very insular home was not always accurate or right. And she said the struggle for her is how to get people to understand when she's taking something from them, she will later be filling them back in with the truth and insight and honesty and historical accuracy and all of the things that come with teaching people what really happened and how we got here instead of the narratives we've been told that are so often lies or or you know, painted by the people yeah. in power or whatever else. And I feel the same way about what you just said. There's this um, initial fear of going and then finding that you love or empathize with or connect to people who are so very different from you that that judgment of them for that difference is taken. And instead of feeling yeah. like, oh, now I don't have that belief I've always had, you're rejoicing. Yeah. Oh my gosh, yay. I uh, now yeah. know the actual I, thing of what goes on in this country yeah. or these people are... And um, gosh, if more people did that, what a better for wor- world it would be. Oh, if everybody had to travel before they could vote, the yes. world would be such a more safe and stable mm. and, and prosperous place, I think. You know, it's very interesting because what you're just, the interesting uh, uh, anecdote there you shared, Sarah, it reminds me, I've been thinking lately about this have a safe trip thing when people say have a safe trip. Hmm. And of course, they're talking about don't get hurt physically. But I think deep down inside, it's also... Don't mess up your norms. You know, don't don't undercut what makes us the center of things. You know, mm-hmm. and 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 don't get out of your comfort zone because you might rearrange your cultural furniture in a way that's going to uh, cause you problems. You know, I like the quote from Thomas Jefferson. He wrote that travel makes a person wiser if less happy. And uh, uh, you know, you, you have to have a an honest curiosity to to have a transformational experience. Uh, I remember when I was all cut up in the Contra Sandinista civil war stuff down in uh, Central America, my dad took me to the airport and uh, bless his heart, he, his, his, his parting words for me was, don't be duped, son. And don't be duped meant don't fall into the clutches of, of uh, socialist people that might question the value of our capitalist way of doing life where it's survival of the fittest economically and uh it just really hit me that 
when we go places we're not supposed to go, sometimes we have the very best trips. Why does our country not let us go there? Mm. You know, and when we do go there, we realize, wow, that was one of the most valuable travel experiences I've had because right. I ventured away to see people who are supposed to be our enemies. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I also think um, when I think of people have a safe trip, it's it's so often we go to spaces that we believe to be unsafe and find that they are far safer than so many of the places oh. we live in here in America. And that's comes from our jingoism and our ethnocentricity and our, our belief that, you know, the number of times people will describe the place they live as the best city in the world. And I want to say, I'm glad you think that because you live there and that's good to yeah. like where you live. But yeah. also, have you been anywhere else? <laughs> really yeah. amazing places. Um oh. I'm curious, and also in terms of safety, because now COVID has become a part of that as well. Um, I know you had to do a whole lot of work to update your books post-COVID and to make sure things were still there and policies were the same. Um, I wonder which city or country required the most updates post-COVID, and maybe it's because they were the hardest hit in terms of closings, or maybe the things changed the most there. Well, that's interesting because I was, you know, our our books were so up to date and they were just, I was so proud of them. They were right on in 2019 and we were all euphoric about our position and how good our stuff was for 2020. And then of course, COVID, of course, COVID hit and we had to cancel all the tours that people were taking with us. And we had to, our books all went into mothballs. And this year we've um, opened the gate for our tours and all the people who had to cancel in 2020, they signed up again in 2022. So, you know, just right like away. Like 30,000, right? That's how many yeah. people tour with I you mean, every year. That's insane. <laughs> yeah. So we had, we had I think, 25,000 cancellations and we almost sold out when COVID hit in, in uh, January, February of 2020. We had to give everybody back their deposits happily. And we just said, um, we're not going to jerk you around. Here's your money back and uh, no credit or anything like that. Here's your cash back and we're friends and we're all in the same boat here. And when we're through this pandemic, we'll open the doors and hopefully you'll join us again. And we did that finally at the beginning of this year and almost everybody signed up again. It was like wild. We had 25,000 people just bam, signed up and the tours were almost full for this year and we're almost full for next year. Um, And I'm very thankful for that. But the, um, from the guidebook point of view, the real um, scary thing for me was what distinguishes a Rick Steves guidebook, uh, just like a Rick Steves tour is the small businesses, the people, the mm-hmm. people stuff, you know, the, the, what distinguishes a good trip is how many people do you meet? How many little mom and pops do you eat at and sleep at and so on? And I thought those are the little businesses that would have the toughest time surviving two years of the pandemic with no income, but they survived amazingly well. I spent two months updating all of our guidebooks with all my staff. It was all hands on deck this spring to get our guidebooks post COVID. And they're all coming out this in the next month or, or so. Uh, or the next through the winter, they're coming out all 50 of them. And um, I was worried that I'd be raking away the corpses of my beloved little businesses all over Europe, all these places. I just, the moms and pops and the creative ventures and they made it. I mean, across the board, they made it. And Mm. I was just really impressed by that and thankful for that. Of course, they had tough times. They had to, you know, trim their sales and, and they had to, you know, the guy who usually was living on easy street was in the trenches there cooking and serving and cleaning because he had to pull way back, but they got through it. And now they are so thankful to be still in business and to see tourism return. So, you know, I don't, I didn't notice any country that had uh, a bigger hit because of COVID. I would say the, I'm very interested in helping Americans understand how anxious should you be about traveling during the time of COVID? Because mm. the pandemic lives on. We're just traveling through it. It's becoming endemic. Right. I think I've been on four trips in the last six or eight months. And um, I've had a, I've just, I didn't travel at all during the hard times of COVID, but then I just kind of went crazy since this spring. And, um, you know, I've been fine. I've, I've, I've uh, traveled right through Europe without any problems. I've got my own standards fully vaxxed, fully boosted, avoid places that are congested and without ventilation and this kind of common sense. Uh, we've had, as you mentioned, you know, 20 or 30,000 people on our tour this year. And we've had about, I mean, COVID is real. We've had about 3% of our travelers get COVID while in Europe. And that's bad news. They have to leave the tour. We refund them for the days they didn't make on the tour. And then they're on their own and they have to quarantine for a few days. And then when they can be safely out and about, they do that and they return on their own. And we found that the lion's share are the the most prevalent places for this people who lost in this game of COVID roulette was Ireland and Scotland. And you think, well, why would that be? 
And I think it's because of the appeal that pubs have in Ireland and Scotland. Mm, There's bad mm-hmm. weather. So you're not on a piazza licking your gelato, yeah. which is quite safe. You're, you're not on a, an Alp. Right. You know? <laughs> or you're not on an Alp, which is really safe. <laughs> really uh, open. You are, you're in a, the charm of the place is it's crowded. It's, mm. it's, it's tight. It's confined. There's not much ventilation. People are drinking and they're speaking really loud close together. And it's just a hotbed, if there's any COVID there, of spreading it. So that's where you have to be double careful. So I just don't go into places that are crowded, filled with people that are likely not to be vaccinated and that doesn't have good ventilation. Right. Uh, another thing that we've learned is, as a tour organizer, restaurateurs are inclined to put a tour group, especially a, a group from far away, Americans or Japanese or Indians or something like that, in the back room crowd them together and say, oh, now you have your own private room. But really, right. they're putting you there in the in the way that has the least impact on their image from the street because they don't want to see a whole mess of Americans in their cool little restaurant. But right. we don't we we've we've really pushed to not be stuck in the back room and to be out and spread out and have good ventilation. So that is important, whether you're on a tour or whether you're going independently, you can travel safely but you should know um, how to minimize the chances of you picking up. By the way, That'd you can't smart. really tell somebody it's safe or it's not safe because it's a personal. Uh, of course, decision. it's about your your wellness and experiences yeah. and previous exposure and everything else. Yeah, for so, sure. So what I tell people, Sarah, is if you're comfortable going out to a concert in the United States and taking a road trip in the United States, well, then you're the kind of person that would be comfortable in Europe. And statistically, right. you're at least as safe in Europe as you are at home. And I don't give the flight a second thought. The flight no, the flight has shown ab- almost no uh, transfer because of the recycling of the air so often. Right. Thank goodness. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, I've got a speed round for you. Are you ready? I'm all buckled up. Okay. The country or city your opinion has most changed on over the years, either positively or negatively? Uh, Berlin. Berlin. Munich used to be the best city uh, in Germany, but now Berlin is the happening place. I just love what Berlin has done since it's rebuilt and reunited. Okay. Uh, The town or city that you hear most from your readers about after they go? Oh, I would say... It would be an Italian town. It would be Rome or Venice or Siena. Uh, and people just love the, the, to me, the mark of a good traveler is how they, how they like Italy. And somebody who complains about Italy, oh, you know, it's traffic <laughs> jams, body odor, people ripping me off, right. straight hairs, traffic jams. I just think you would like Denmark, you know. Yeah, but if go somebody to likes, Yeah, but if somebody <laughs> likes Italy, I think they, they, they know how to accept the package deal. And I think they're good travelers. Uh, the town or city that has maybe reacted negatively to the attention they've gotten from your books? Oh, um, it was the weirdest thing. I was in Blackpool. In Blackpool, nobody writes about Blackpool in England. It's kind of the low-end Coney Island of, of Britain. <laughs> and uh, it's historically, it's where workers in Northern England who couldn't afford a plane ticket to Spain would go for a vacation. And they would sit in a cold, drizzly beach and pretend it was warm and pretend they're having a good time <laughs> and they would eat terrible gut bomb food. And I, w- I included it in my book because it was a really interesting slice of um, the English uh, society, uh, to be honest. And I just love this, um, you know, cotton candy kind of um, kitschy people wearing toupees and getting their palms red and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> I, I, I just really enjoyed the um, colorfulness of it. It was it's a little bit like going to a Las Vegas with a sociology professor. Right. And um, and I wrote about it and I was trying to find uh, bed and breakfasts that would um, that I could put in my book. 
And I, I hit a whole string of B&Bs that just didn't want Americans in their B&B. Mm. And I said, I'm writing a guidebook for American travelers. And normally when I say that, the, the people go, oh, great, you know, here's our deals and, you know, have them book direct and we can give them a free breakfast or whatever. Um, and um, the people in, for some reason, maybe it was just a bad luck string of bed and breakfast, but they didn't want to be in the book. And it just really uh, confused me. Yeah, yeah that's interesting. Um city or country you most want to get back to re-review that you haven't lately oh i was just thinking about spain i was just mm. i was just uh, talking to somebody who's been in spain and i love spain but i love italy more and uh italy is my favorite country and it's by far our best-selling country but i always feel like Sp spain gets a little less love than it deserves from me and i'd love to get back because every yeah. time i go to spain i just i just fall in love with it I was just in Sevilla, Mallorca, and uh, Ibiza at the end mm. of that trip. Um, and it was Mallorca, I would love to go back to. It was wonderful. Oh, nice. Uh, the towns and beaches and stuff are, are wonderful there. Yeah. I didn't I didn't know what to expect. A friend wanted to go. So I was like, oh, I'll tack it on the end of my trip. And then it was it was great. Wow, good um, deal. Yeah. Um, have you by chance seen the weekend update segment with the guy who just bought a boat that mentions you? Yes, I okay. see that. <laughs> I saw that. I didn't. I'm not even that hip to know how off color and uh, oh, it's very off color. The, the joke was, but uh, I think uh, people thought it was funny. And uh, P.T. Barnum, Barnum said, "Just mention my name, so I'll take it." Exactly. Yeah. Uh, all publicity is good publicity. Uh, my husband and I saw it not long. It was the finale of the of the last season, so it wasn't that long. And we were planning our trip, and we ah. would. Just walking through wherever and your guidebook would s tell us something amazing or we would go somewhere that you mentioned mm. um and otherwise wouldn't have gone to and we would just look at each other and say the line which i will play oh. here without putting it in my own voice i will okay. just play it right here with covid restrictions relaxing many americans are planning to travel abroad this summer here with his tips for romantic international getaways is a guy who just bought a boat <laughs> Now, oh, if no. you don't want to be an Ugo Americano, you gotta blend in with the low calls, Jost. So grab a guidebook. And remember, Rick Steves leads to slick beeves. We would walk around and just be like, yep, that's right, Rick Steves. <laughs> <laughs> he knows what he's doing. Um, I believe one of them was when we went to that insane police station in, in is it Zurich, right? With the art, the yeah. gorgeous police station with the oh. frescoes. Oh, um, the train station or the police station? A police station in Zurich. It's um that Giacometti frescoes. Okay. Um, and uh, we never would have popped our heads in there. And at first he was like, we're going yeah. in and we have to give them your oh, ID. Okay. So we yeah, were that... like, oh, they're definitely okay. running a background check while you're checking out the frescoes, you know, right. just to see if you're wanted for anything. Um, that would be on our guided walk through the town. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's, yeah. it was just such a random and, and lovely spot to pop in. I'm, I'm fairly certain that well, the weekend update reference was dropped there as well. Those um, yeah, those, those kind of places are the places you walked by and you you wouldn't know. You never it know. You had yeah. a little book and then I can just say, oh, pop in here. Yeah, I remember that. That was really cool. Okay, so when you travel outside of Europe, how do you research or plan your trip? Uh, I find a good guidebook. Uh, I just love going places where I don't write. And then it reminds me of the frustrations a lot of people can have uh, with getting oriented and making a smart itinerary and just being confused. I love to be confused far away from home. It's part of the joy of travel for me. And I also get to then uh, see how other guidebooks have tackled this. Um, yeah. And one thing that I find really critical that most guidebooks don't really grapple with directly is just what's the lay of the land? What's the big picture? I've only mm -hmm. got 10 days. How should I spend it? How does that's Oxford my favorite part of your books no. is when you say, if yeah. you only have three, do these. And if you have yeah. five, do these. Uh, it's such a huge decision helper when you get yeah. somewhere new. Because I, I went to Cuba with my family, and uh, you know, I'm I always like to do the planning because I just love it. And it took me the longest time to get my brains around what the heck should I do in Cuba. I couldn't even find Havana on a on a you know a, a cutout of the island. I, I wouldn't I didn't know Cuba at all. But it took me hours to kind of get the big picture of it, and then I put together a great itinerary. But it shouldn't take you hours to do that. And what we aspire to do with our guidebooks, and it's something that we've done globally is to have a full color introductory part of the guidebook in the first 
10 or well, 12 or 16 pages where you really do get a sense of what does Portugal have to offer and how, you know, where should you go for your beaches and what's the university town? And, you know, if you want to take a hike, where should you, and what about the Douro Valley and Port Wine? Yeah. And, oh, it's beautiful and, up in know, Porto area. Yeah. All of that stuff. So then people can go, okay, we have to choose between the North and the South. And, you know, we really like wine and, and we really like uh, little villages and want to take a hike. And then you cobble it together. And, you know, that's what we do for a living with our tours. We've got 40 different itineraries uh, covering all of Europe. And a lot of times I tell people, even if you're not interested in taking a Rick Steves bus tour, these itineraries are really smart. And you can just download the itinerary and then fine tune it to your mm -hmm. interests and your time and take advantage of the work and the experience we've had on yeah. what is the best, you know, trip through Eastern France. Or if you got, you know, 12 days in Scandinavia, how would you spend them? It's so smart. And that's that's what I do every time. And that's why people look at my photos and they say, how did you know to go uh, there? And what was yeah. that itinerary? Yeah. Rick Steves, man. Um, uh. I, I'm curious because you have said in the past, you know, there are certain secret places that you always worry. Oh, I want to tell people about this, but I don't want everyone to go there and make it not right. so secret anymore. Right. Um, this is just my listeners. So let's like, what's a place that's not in a book <laughs> that you didn't want it to blow up, but you could just tell us. Ah. Well, I'm not going to tell you, but <laughs> but I do every once in a while find a place that's so sweet, but it doesn't have the infrastructure yeah. to handle tourists. And I would be doing the town a disservice and I would be doing my travelers a disservice if I connected mm. them because there's no place to sleep. They don't have any real, they've got you know one little fragile place to eat and they don't really want international travelers there. And so I just kind of go, no, the vibe's not right for this place. Yeah. On the other hand, you know, the Cinque Terre, you, have you been to the Cinque Terre? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, that's just five amazing idyllic little towns in the very best part of the Italian Riviera. When I first went there, it was one of the poorest parts of Italy. Now it's probably one of the richest parts of yeah. Italy because of it's been discovered by tourism. And, and I've contributed quite a bit to that because we've just loved it for 30 years. And, you know, when I go there, it's funny. Um, I usually... I, 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 the local people are so glad that I've, that I've sent them all of this, you know, uh, economy from tourism. Uh, uh, and then the tourists that are there, they're just so thankful they're there that there's, they've learned about this and I've sorted it out for them. And then I always meet a couple of people that kind of go, why did you have to tell everybody about this? Why couldn't you have just <laughs> told me, you know, well, that's not how it works. You don't yeah. get a private line on discovering this. You can find your own places that are yet to be touristy, but, yeah. um, but it, you know, the Cinque Terre has evolved in a way that is really good. And I like it every bit as much now when it's relatively touristic and developed as it was in the old days, because right. the government has declared it's national park. So you can't build any modern buildings. There's no modern buildings in the Cinque Terre. And that means there's no comfortable hotels. And mm. that keeps away the most obnoxious. Keep you walking. Yep. You've got to work you know, they, for it. <laughs> yeah. Those, those people who insist on good hotels are in the bigger tourist traps nearby and just the more rugged travelers that are flexible and they want to have that experience and stay in a funky B and B they're in the Cinque Terre and they wake up in the morning and they step out on their balcony and they've got these twinkling vistas of the Mediterranean mm. and they can, they can just, they can see the corduroy Hills of the vineyards that have been terraced like centuries ago. And they've just today, they're going to lay on the beach and then they're going to take a hike and then they're going to have this beautiful, beautiful, fresh seafood. And it's, um, it's a wonderland for people who can stay in a simple hotel. Well, I think about, you know, I obviously went to a few of the places that could be overwhelmed in Switzerland that you recommend, except for it does. You have to take a gondola to a train to a funicular. Then you have yep. to start hiking and then you have to be willing to stop at the spot with the honesty store and leave them your your yeah. euros in order to get or your francs in order to get your free beer at the honesty store, which you pay yeah. for. But um, and you have to work for it. So it doesn't it doesn't get overrun the same way because it's not easy yeah. to find some of those secret spots. You have to really want to find them. Oh, um, I was just I was just there a couple of weeks ago. And oh, my girlfriend it, and I spent I, a week hiking and we did the honesty store. I can't believe more people and... don't I, I came back from Switzerland and I was like, they should pay me because uh, it was just like a 19 part photographic yeah. exploration for everybody who follows me. Cause I was like, I can't yeah. believe no one I know has ever gone here and then yeah. showed me uh, a picture so I could say what this yeah. is the most beautiful place. Why, why isn't everyone going there yeah. all the time? It's insane. I'm, I have, I love to share this on my Facebook page and I had a, like a 20 post uh, series 
of my favorite hikes and experiences in the Swiss mm. Alps. And then we all went, uh, we also went um, on a barge through the canals of Burgundy with a, a oh, gourmet kind of experience. And amazing. at, at uh, Rick Steves on Facebook, I get to post all of those. And yeah. I, I had just like a 20-day series. It just ended a couple of days ago, but anybody could go to Rick Steves there and look through these hikes that we did and these meals that we had and these uh, these magic moments. And and one time, Ollie, who runs the little B&B in this little tiny town Gimmelwald where the benches are and where they have the honesty shops and this kind of thing. He, it was just later than in the day. And he said, just hike up to the end of the trail in the valley. You don't need to take a lift up into the real high country or anything. And I said, great, we'll try it. And we just went an hour and a half up the valley and we found ourselves all alone in this amphitheater of, of nature with all these glaciers coming down mm. and this rugged terrain. And nobody was there. We saw like four people in, in three hours. Yeah. And it was peak season. And it, the point was, even, even when you're near a lot of tourists, if you can walk an hour up the trail and find yourself in, a, in this wonderful sort of end of the valley triumph of, of nature, you yeah. create a lifelong memory and you get back in time for dinner. And and you're right. It is. Uh, people were marveling at so many of my photos. There's not a person in sight, just cows everywhere, just the yeah. sound of the cowbells and the insane views. And uh, it's just so magical. I, I had to sit down. I was on a ridge when I when I was in my 20s. I did this hike um, high above Interlaken from Schinnegeplatte to first above Grindelwald. And I, I always use this line in my lectures. I, I say, imagine you're on a ridge high in the Alps on one side, <laughs> you got lakes stretching all the way to Germany. On the mm. other side, you got the most incredible Alpine panorama anywhere, the Eiger, Monk, and Jungfrau cut grass peaks. And ahead of you, you hear the long legato tones of an Alphorn announcing that the helicopter stocked mm. mountain hood is open. It's just around the corner and the coffee schnapps is on. And walking on that ridge, I got mm. to do it again just, just last month. And it was oh. just as magical. And I hadn't been on that ridge for 40 years. And I sat down and I just took a moment to thank my boots, thank my day bag, thank my poles. This <laughs> thank is your legs. Thank, thank, thank my legs for this Facebook <laughs> post. And then I looked out at this classic Alpine farm and there was the farm, mm. there was the, the meadow, there were the cows. And let's just take 20 seconds and listen to the orchestra of the cowbells. Yeah. And we had that right up there on that ridge. And it was one of those moments that, you know, anybody can do it, but but 90% of the tourists are shopping down on the main street of Interlaken complaining yeah. about the prices. And you got to take the initiative to be a good tourist, a good traveler. Oh, I love it. I hope I go there enough times to pronounce things correctly like you do, because I say them like, uh, like an yeah. American. I'm working on it. Well, um, all right. My last question for you in the speed round that's not that speedy is many people go through life regretting not traveling enough and looking back and saying, I wish I'd been to all these places. Is there any part of the life you've chosen, and particularly a hundred or so days a year, that causes you any regret? That I didn't recognize the value of hiring private guides earlier. It took me 20 years to realize that I'd rather have a picnic dinner to save some money to afford a private guide to be my own, the luxury of having my own expert while I'm walking around and exploring. Now, that's economic for me because I'm doing work that thousands of people are going to benefit from when I write it up. Um, but if you can afford a private guide, it's really great. Um, if you can't afford a private guide, you can book into small walking tours that tourist offices put on and so on, or guides put on mm -hmm. where, where you where you share the cost of the guide. And if you don't have uh, money for that, you can just, there's an app by a guy named Rick Steves that has about 60 tours <laughs> that you just, you get all the information yep. on an audio tour and you just plug it into your ear and and I get to walk you around. That's one of my favorite things to offer people is our Rick Steves Audio Europe app. But the trick is for us to get good information and use it and we have a better experience. Well, I don't usually do the audio so much as the walking in the books and the walking tours are my favorite thing to do everywhere I go. So okay. thank you. Thank you for um, just making all of my travels so much better, for making millions of people's travels better. And thank you so much for coming on the show and talking about it. Well, you bet. And thank you for, it's been fun to talk with you, Sarah, because you've done your homework and you're an enthusiastic <laughs> traveler yourself. And you've had a, given me an hour to think about uh, 
the the value of yeah. travelers just taking their trip seriously and getting good information. And you know, if if I, if there's anything that we can do, our website it's simply ricksteves.com. It has all this free information. Everything you can, every every TV show we've ever made is there. If you wonder what would you do, what would I what would you do in Portugal? We got three shows that's ninety minutes on Portugal. You can just watch that, and you know what I would do in Portugal. You know, we've got eight shows on Spain and eighteen shows. That's nine hours on Italy. So a lot Amazing. of information there, and uh, uh, just you know, the information's there, but you got to curate it, and then you got to you know expect yourself to travel smart, and you will. And you will. And we're all looking forward to Rick Steves' Art of Europe, which starts very soon and will be on PBS stations uh, around the country. And I imagine will be able to be found online too for people in areas that aren't getting it. And we're excited to see that as well. Yeah, um, you know, you can you can get that on the PBS Passport app, and you can oh, also watch excellent. it on. Excellent. You can also watch it on my website. Even to, just last night, I I watched it. Uh, for the first time using Passport on PBS. And it's oh, awesome. all of them there. But on our website, we'll have them all for free for people. They can just go to ricksteves.com and go to the TV section and click on the art of Europe. It is amazing how much of your content is free. It's incredible. It's such a gift to people. Uh, thank you, Rick. This was amazing. You bet. Happy travels, Sarah. That's what she said. <laughs> oh, yeah. One more thing. So this is a place for rants, raves, everything in between. I tell you what to read, what to watch, what to listen to, whatever's on my mind. And I mean, duh, it's go to ricksteves.com. Watch his videos, listen to his podcast, check out his message boards for tips from other travelers. There's endless good free stuff on there. Um, and then, of course, go buy his books, plan some amazing travel. And then if you want a treat, go watch that. Uh, go watch the full weekend update segment that I teased. Um just too funny. If you search SNL weekend update, guy who just bought a boat, romantic summer getaways, uh, you will find it. Or just search guy who just bought a boat weekend update. Watch all of them. They're all good. But the uh, the most recent one from last, last season's finale is the one Alex Moffat. So good. Uh, you can always tweet me at Sarah Spain. If you got guest suggestions, questions or more, you should always go to the iTunes or podcast app. Subscribe to That's What She Said. Follow That's What She Said with Sarah Spain. Rate five stars, please. Give me a nice review. Maybe you'll end up on the pod. Thanks, as always, for lasting about an hour with me. That's what she said. <laughs>